Welcome to Path to CytosCon, the podcast for developers who love Postgres, where we discuss the human side of open source databases, of course, Postgres, and the many PG extensions. I want to say thank you to the team at Microsoft for sponsoring this community conversation. And I'm Claire Giordano. And I'm Pino Ducandia. Today's topic is my journey into Postgres monitoring. I have uh, the pleasure of introducing Lucas Fiddle, founder of Postgres monitoring company PG Analyze. Lucas says that PG Analyze is the best way for developers to find out what's slow with Postgres, find missing indexes, and improve its performance. Um, uh, Lucas bootstrapped his own company, and he built uh, building it to solve his own use case. He formerly worked at Microsoft, Citus Data, Product Hunt. He's been working on Postgres since 2006, and last year, uh, sorry, gave a talk at PGCon in 2020 called What's Missing for Postgres Monitoring? More recently on how to automate index recommendations for Postgres. Welcome, Lucas. Thank you. Welcome. And I would like to introduce our second guest, Rob Treat. Uh, Rob is a longtime Postgres practitioner, uh, was involved in the early development of Circonus, uh, which was an infrastructure monitoring solution built for scalability, and it had like deep metric analysis, um, has worked with consulting clients on Postgres things, um, including Etsy, DoorDash, National Geographic, um, three-fifths of the FANG companies, um, as well as other monitoring companies. And he's given a bunch of talks on the Postgres conference circuit that are about monitoring things. Like um, way back in the day at PG Day San Jose, there was a talk about, check please, what your Postgres wishes you would monitor. Um, and he's also been a speaker at CitusCon, an event for Postgres in its inaugural year, um, where he talked about advanced int to big int conversions. Welcome, Rob. Howdy. Thanks Howdy. for having me. All right, so let's dive in. Today's topic is my journey into Postgres monitoring. And Pino and I have so many questions for both of you about why you both got into the area of monitoring, why you care about it, and why other people care about it. Uh, so with that as their goal, um, Lucas, let's start with you. Um, we really want to know what the origin story is for PG Analyze. Sure. Um, let's see. Let's dial back uh, to 2012, <laughs> I think. Whoa. Um, <laughs> long, long time ago um, in this galaxy. Um, so the background story you mentioned, you know, in your intro that I had worked with Postgres since 2006, right? And so that was really as an application engineer, I would say, um, you know, was like back in 2006, we started a, a company. We were using Postgres as our main kind of data store. Um, and we got into challenges into scaling the Postgres database back then, right? Um, that's many Postgres releases ago. And so, of course, you know, replication was, you know, still in its infancy um, in terms of how it worked in Postgres, um, all these kind of fun things. And so a couple of years later, after I kind of, you know, had seen the struggle with, you know, a Postgres database that's kind of slow, that's not, you know, scaling as you expect, um, I was essentially at the point where I was like, you know, um, I, I want to build something that does this better. Um, and at the time, around 2012, uh, PG stat statements, which um, in Postgres is the way to track query statistics, got essentially a major upgrade um, thanks to Peter Gagan, um, essentially um, as part of work that was back then funded by Heroku, um, improving how Postgres tracks query statistics so that now you could actually get a lot more um, kind of detail, um, you know, which queries have run in the database. 
And so that kind of sparked that initial idea that what if, you know, we just made a dashboard that showed all the queries that have run on your database in, you know, like the last hour, the last 24 hours, just giving you a really clear overview of the database's view of the world. Because as an application engineer, you're oftentimes not really seeing that, right? Like you're just stuck in your ORM and you maybe have an APM tool that shows, you know, kind of what's going on in individual requests. But it's really hard to say if your database server is a 90% CPU, what's really the root cause? And so that's kind of where, you know, the idea for PGAnalyze came in was just making, solving that problem essentially for myself and for others. Um, and then, you know, fast forward many years now, um, we're able to build a successful business around that, um, bootstrap that business. Um, and so we're now a team of uh, rough, like a little bit under 10 people um, scaling out the company and are actually able to, you know, invest into things that are not maybe just query statistics, but are other things like index recommendations as well. Can you tell us more about how long did it take to, to get that first version out uh, of that um, dashboard? Yeah, good question. I'm, uh, you know, I'm fuzzy on the details given it's been, you know, 11 years now. <laughs> um, but uh, I think it was, it wasn't that hard to get. So the initial version, I think, was a Python script that was collecting the data. And then it was sending that data into like a Ruby and Rails application. And PG Analyze is still Rails today. So it's, it's kind of, it's kept some of those origins. Um, and I think it must have been probably like two to three months worth of effort, right? I think at the time, there were a lot of things not clear yet into how, you know, that query statistic side on Postgres really worked. And so I think um, there was a lot of uncertainty around the initial version. And then I would say, you know, between first version that I myself used and first version that somebody else used, probably a couple of more months passed. Um, so in the end, you know, I would say probably in, you know, sometime in 2013 was when we probably had, you know, like a couple of different companies using it. Well, it's really exciting for me to see you grow and scale PG Analyze. I mean, I totally miss working with you. Full disclosure for the <laughs> audience, uh, Lucas and I worked together at Citus Data and then right. at Microsoft after the Citus acquisition. Um, so I, you know, big disappointment when you left, but, you know, you're still in the Postgres world and uh, PG Analyze is clearly flourishing and growing, which is cool. That's right. And I think the additional context there for those of you who you know, don't know my own bio um, uh, by heart is that, you know, um, obviously PG Analyze, when it started out, was too small to sustain itself as a company. And so I was essentially running it as a side project, um, for example, when I was at Citus Data. Um, luckily, the founders of Citus Data were, you know, very generous in allowing that. And so I was able to essentially build the company um, in parallel to, you know, being a part of Citus and then also um, had, you know, the um, experience of kind of joining Microsoft and kind of seeing um, Citus turn into what's now Azure um, Database for Cosmos. Oh, sorry, Azure Cosmos DB for Postgres. Nice. Okay. <laughs> well said. Okay. So, Rob, you were at Circonus in the early days. Uh, what was that like and what did it have to do with monitoring? Sure. Yeah. So, Circonus was a project um, that kind of came out of the consulting work we did. So, I, I kind of started my career uh is doing like development and like sysadmin stuff and ended up in this like accidental dba type category and eventually started working at a company called omni ti which was scalability consulting and they had some large projects that were and a lot of it was like oracle to migration back in the day like trying to do these multi-terabyte databases on postgres and uh and and back in the day here is you know uh yeah early early aughts i guess and so as we were doing consulting work, you know, one there's there's kind of like two kinds of consulting work people get into. And one is that like you go work on one client, you know, for two or three years or whatever. And, and it's um, it's more like contracting. And then the other version of consulting is sort of like you take the skills that you have 
towards the technology and then you try to apply to as many different problem sets as you can, right? And I was fortunate enough to be in a group where we were really doing the latter kind of work where we were just taking on all these different projects of people who were trying to scale Postgres, having a lot of the challenges that Lucas, you know, is talking about. It, it's kind of in the very same time frame and trying to get that to work. So one of the problems that we had doing that work was for really high scale sites, either they had a monitoring system that really didn't cover the things that we needed in Postgres, or uh, they had a system like it, it just couldn't scale high enough. So we were always fond of kind of building our own tools for the work that we were doing. Like one of the things we built years ago was this tool called OmniPitter, which basically was like point in time replication and wall replay. And one of the things we built out of that was so we could do like backups off of replica machines. And we had that in like 8.3, right? And so there were just things like that where we were always like, if we need a tool, we'll go build it. That's why we do open source, right? That was a big part of it uh, is to give us that freedom. And so we ended up building this thing. I think the project originally was called Reconnoiter, was the monitoring project that we built. And one of the, the sort of two key pieces were because we were doing a lot of Postgres work, we knew we had to be able to support Postgres right, and have good monitoring and, and analytics capabilities within that. And then the other part of that was we built the initial versions on Postgres because it was kind of our bread and butter. So we thought, like, let's see how far we can take this. And that first version uh, that really was released, I think, was on Postgres 8.4. So it even predated, like, any kind of built-in replication, uh, which was actually one of the pieces that ended up being really tricky for us is the amount of data ingestion that we had and whatnot. But that code is actually still out there. There's some interesting schema stuff in there. Um, I went to look to see, like, is it, I think it's still floating on GitHub, and it is actually still out on GitHub. So it's definitely old, but there were some some really interesting ideas in there. Uh, and again, as part of that, like having to run uh, Postgres in order to monitor Postgres and make sure, you know, your Postgres has to run better than everybody else's Postgres because you can't afford downtime, right? It's a monitoring system. Like, it's got to be up all the time. So I think that's one of the unique challenges when you go down this rabbit hole of, like, we're going to build and run monitoring services and keep those up and running. Like that, it's part of the the interesting thing. I think both, I'm sure Lucas has seen that at PG Analyze, and we definitely saw it with the Circona stuff. Uh, Rob, was that your major case of eating your own dog food? Or did you have other uh, Postgres ser servers that you ran, they operated? No, we had others that were definitely, I would say, bigger and, you know, just had more varied queries against them, analytics stuff, uh, and OLTP. So... I wouldn't say that was the thing that was difficult about that for us as a solution was the size of the data. Ultimately we knew it was going to grow. Cause we, so we had a plan. Our thing was like, we want to keep 10 years of data and we want to keep granular data. So one of the problems that you had a lot of times back in those early days, you know, most of the monitoring and trending solutions were built on RD and I, you know, I have a special place in my heart for RD. It did really good things for the industry to get people to be able to trend and monitor stuff. But uh, one of the things it did was it always did these roll-ups of data. So when you would go back in time, you know, two or three years, you would kind of lose fidelity of the information that you had. And it was really much more difficult to see, you know, 12 months back or more, like, you know, if I'm trying to do year-to-date metrics versus last year and that kind of thing, it's much more difficult to see that in RD. So one of our things was we're going to keep all this data and we want to do it for 10 years. Uh, and that was where it really sort of became like you have all this metrics data and you could just sort of do the projections, right? And the more clients that you built, uh, we were building it as a multi-tenant system. So if we had built it maybe in a way where it was, you know, for each individual client, they would have gotten their own thing. Like that would have 
definitely been easier. But when you sort of make it as multi-tenant, then even, you know, somebody has some multi-terabyte thing that's doing, you know, e-commerce, that's a lot of data. And, and it starts way bigger than the monitoring system. But eventually you could project out this monitoring solution is going to need, you know, way more uh, data to be held and be able to pull that data back and forth and whatnot. So that, you know, we could see where the problems were going to come, uh, especially in a pre-replication Postgres. Sorry, if you, if you don't mind me asking, this is pre-partitioning as well, right? Like... No, we had partitioning, but it was partitioning based on table inheritance. So, um, right. It, it, so depending on how you, you know, what you count as partitioning, uh, it was the pre-built-in table partitioning that Postgres has now, and it was all uh, inheritance stuff. But I had been using inheritance uh, for better or worse for I don't know, maybe uh, since the late '90s at that point. So I was very familiar with that, and we used that pretty extensively. Uh, and we even did kind of like uh, sharding, so to speak, where we built a namespace with different schemas, depending on which ingestion you know metric piece was coming in. Uh, and then we had the ability to use point-in-time recovery to split servers off and make them second servers. And we just had to put logic in the client to know, like it would come in and it would ask like, hey, where does my data go? And then it would return either like, you should be in this schema or you should be on this server. Right, and so the the little apps that were doing the metric ingestion and sending the data in, like every time they would start, they would call and figure that stuff out. And then if we had to split something onto its own server and move it to a different machine, you know, we just changed the logic of that so they could easily figure out where their data data needed to go. So it was a lot of kind of manual sharding, but in that case, we controlled the whole product line, right? We controlled the piece that was doing ingestion, and we controlled the back end, so we could have those two pieces work together. It didn't have to be you know, completely transparent between one and the other, we could have them work together and know what they were doing. So that definitely helped to scale it. Okay, so I should have interrupted you like three minutes ago, but just point <laughs> of clarification, RRD stands for round robin database tool or something else? I believe it stands for round robin database. Okay, cool. Just uh, people who are listening, and, I wanna make sure they yeah. understand. And I okay. think where most people would know RD from, uh, I think is probably there was a, a tool called Cacti, which I believe is probably still out there. Uh, and I think uh, there was another one, MRTG maybe also used RD. So there were a number of these sort of open source tools, mostly for monitoring and trending, and they built on top of RD. So RD was the thing that stored the data, and then they would build these graphical front ends on top of it in order to, to see the data and be able to browse around and stuff. And I think Nagios even put that in at some point. Um, they have right, at a later point, well. right? Yeah, yeah, I definitely recall RD from back, you know, when I was doing some more infrastructure stuff in the early, like, well, later 2000s. That was definitely the way to go, right? Was having your RD tool generate the yeah. graphs. Yeah, that's what everybody was doing, you know, in, the, in those very early 2000 times. So, as I was working with you both to invite you to join the show and come up with the topic and that decision to focus on your journey into monitoring Postgres. Um, I started to wonder, monitoring observability, monitoring observability. Um, and I'm curious, like, how do you see those two things? Which one do you care about more? Which one do you spend more time thinking about these days? Uh, I, I, I'll i take a stab at that, but my stab will be maybe from a different direction than, than Lucas, because I don't know his background well enough. So um, one of the things when I went to OmniTI that was a big sort of part of there is they used a lot of like Solaris and open Solaris and Illumos. So we Yay. had access to, yeah, we had access to D trace back in the day. And so to me, like when I think of observability, 
like to me, it goes back to D-Trace as like the ultimate observability tool. And that saved our bacon on a, a number of projects that, that we had to deal with over the years. Um, and so, I, you know, observability now is kind of, I don't know, it, it's kind of more of a marketing term. It means different things to different people. So it's a little bit tricky. Um, but I think that your bread and butter day to day to me is monitoring. Like you're going to be doing that, you know, that's 90 plus percent of the work. And observability is more about kind of the debugging side when something has really broken in a way that you don't understand. So that's kind of how I split that, but other people may split it differently. It's really interesting that you mentioned Dtrace because the creators of it, like Brian Cantrell, Adam Leventhal, others, they host another podcast, right? Called, I think it's called um, Oxide and Friends. And that was actually the inspiration for this podcast. They hosted on Discord and they have the live text chat and all of that. So yeah, shout out to the Dtrace team. It's a good um, podcast. <laughs> It is. It's a great podcast. So if any of you are interested in systems, um, computer systems, software, hardware, the whole kit and caboodle, um, they they have some great guests and some good conversations. And uh, okay, but, so uh, Claire, if you don't mind me to, jumping in, yeah, <laughs> I not only don't mind, I want you to jump in. Go. <laughs> um, I, I think I, I do concur with Rob that observability is a little bit of a marketing term. Like not not always, right? But like I feel like. The reason we started, we stopped talking about monitoring and we started talking about observability is because companies wanted to, you know, market around that term. I do think that there is some merit to, you know, projects like OpenTelemetry, for example. Um, so I think, you know, if you look at the evolution of like application monitoring in particular, it has always been very vendor driven, right? So you'd always, you know, had like different companies making different ways to monitor and you would like add... I don't know, like the vendor SDK into your application, and that would then um, make your application <clears throat> track the right data. Um, <clears throat> there goes my voice. That's not good. Um, so the idea is um, that you know, OpenTelemetry actually made that vendor agnostic. And so I think the one big benefit that I see around the observability story these days is that is it is a vendor agnostic story of how you're tracking application side metrics. Um, I don't think that necessarily relates to what we do in Postgres world. So to me, when I think of Postgres monitoring or Postgres observability, they kind of mean the same thing. Like I don't really see a big difference there, but I think on the application side, to me, observability means the more modern way of doing this with open telemetry, with having tracing, right? So you would you know, have, have traces collected by the application, um, look at you know, tools like Honeycomb, which I'm a great fan of. Um, that you know give you that level of insight on the application side using a standard that means you're not really tied to a single vendor. And Speaking one thing just to toss in, I was just gonna say one thing to toss in there. I don't think Postgres or the the sort of core Postgres hackers or whoever you want to call that group of people, I don't think they, I don't know, believe in observability in the way that it is generally used. Right? Like if you're doing Postgres now. They believe in like, you're gonna use SQL to query your database and you're gonna look at log files and that kind of stuff. And I think that that would not be how most people, you know, like they don't expect you to collect traces on Postgres, right? Or even really look at core dumps or whatever. Um, that's just not the normal way that I think Postgres hackers think about people interacting with the database. So I think that's part of also why, like you say, like it's, it's not, observability is not really how you approach Postgres problems uh, in my mind. Mm -hmm. I mean, the thing that still surprises me is most people don't look at their logs for Postgres, right? The error logs. And there's yeah. so much useful information in there. And if you talk to the typical hacker, they would say, yeah, sure, you know, people, we, we output a log message, right, when this happens. But most people just don't look there. So, 
Yeah, that's one of the first things I always tell people. Yeah, so Postgres, I mean, the Postgres hackers expect you to look at your log files. And that was one of the first things, like, it's in my checklist of, like, if I'm evaluating a new Postgres monitoring solution, and it was one of the first things I looked at with PG Analyze, I was like, okay, so how do I get access to log files? Like, does he have any mechanism for parsing those log files and getting that information you know, that was one of the things that, like, early on, I think, in PG Analyze's story was like, oh, yeah, we need to figure out how to surface log file information. Because right. there's just stuff That's you right. can't really get any other way, you know. And I think if you come from, like, a SQL Server background or Oracle background, you know, the the belief there from those DBAs is, like, everything should be accessible via SQL statements. And, I, I mean, I don't have a problem with that philosophy. I just know that that's not how Postgres approaches it, you know, for better or worse. Like, they... They expect you to have access to your log files. All right. So we're going to dive into how Postgres users, as well as the Postgres developers and hackers, think about monitoring in a sec. But I, I want to go back to the Honeycomb reference that you threw out a second ago, mm-hmm. Lucas. Um, in preparing for this, I I know that Charity Majors, who's the founder of Honeycomb, I think. Um, I think that's right. I, NCTO, I think. Yeah, one of, one of the co-founders, yeah. Exactly. So she... Um, has a quote out there about this monitoring versus observability question. And the way she described it is that monitoring is for known unknowns and setting thresholds and running checks against the system. And observability is about the unknown unknowns. Does that ring true for you both? I I think there's some merit to that, but I I think her perspective is different than the Postgres perspective would be, right? So like like that statement, I think, should be read in the context of application-side monitoring or observability. Um, But again, I don't think in my personal experience, it doesn't really help if I give special meaning to the word observability. I think it's really more about where's my slow query, right? Like that's the word that people use. Um, They don't really talk about observability or monitoring. Okay, so the focus in Postgres is where's my slow query? Or For example, why right? is my or like, query slow and how do I fix it? Exactly. Or why is my database server at 90% CPU, right? It's like, like I think we're, we're talking more about, like it's a different kind of system than the application world where you might have, you know, maybe requests like bad experiences that customers are having that you don't know of, right? So it's, it's kind of a different situation, at least in my mind. I think, well, so here's, here's how I kind of look at that, that, that I don't know that it's a different kind of system in the grand scheme, it's just that the way that that hackers expect DBAs and sysadmins to interact with a database is different than how you would probably interact with code that you wrote for like a web service, right? Like if if you have, again, like I don't think anyone expects a DBA to go look at a core dump, right? Like we did that as consultants because like we were into that, right? And like I said, we used things like Dtrace and tools like that. The Postgres hackers would never expect that like a DBA or sysadmin is going to run dtrace on a Postgres backend, right, to figure out what's going on with the system. And, you know, whether that's right or wrong, you know, I I mean, I don't really want to advocate for a world where everybody needs to learn how to use GDB, you know, if you're not doing C development. Um, So I, I understand the merit, I think, of their approach in saying we don't want everybody to have to do that. But uh, I think that's kind of where the line is drawn that, for some of these folks, I think, and I'm not super familiar with Honeycomb, but I, from how I understand it, like they kind of say, no, you should actually have tooling at every piece of the stack and you should be able to get, you know, trace messages from all your systems, whether it's a Postgres or anything else. Uh, and I think that's just where the gap is between the tool that Postgres hackers are trying to build for end users versus, you know, where some of these observability platforms are out there trying to, to put something together. 
Yeah, and I'll, I'll add one more thing to that. Um, so the, the thing we actually, with PG Analyze, added recently was a way for us to send tracing data into open telemetry systems, right? So one of the things that Honeycomb, for example, is great at is it's really a full open telemetry system. And so what we can do now is when we see a slow execution, like a, a slow explain plan from AutoExplain, we can actually send that as a span into an existing trace in an open telemetry type stack like Honeycomb. And I think that's really like what I think the experience is that an application engineer should ideally have, right? It's like they look at a trace and then they look at the SQL statement in the trace and then there's an explain plan or inf information from the database attached right to, um, you know, that span. So you don't have to switch tools, right? Um, that's something that I think we, we already see being quite beneficial in combining PG Analyze and Honeycomb, for example. So a second ago, you started to delineate some pain points that, you see people trying to solve. Um, well, both of you have touched on these pain points. So I wrote down, why is my database server at 90% CPU? Or where is my slow query? Or why is this query slow? What are what are the other pain points that um, you, you both have focused on? Or is that it? Is it really all just about slow queries? Rob, do you want to take it? <laughs> Oh, I mean, I think the the vast majority is definitely slow queries, right? Because that's that's when you get yelled at as a DBA, right? Is when the queries are slow, um, and then I think there's that next level, which is like CPU and memory and disk I/O, which you know, kind of the next layer, and those are things that you probably see as a systems person who is running these services, and it may not be the problem yet, but you're like, oh, well, if I'm always pegging CPU, this is going to be a problem at some point. Right, but the thing that causes somebody to to you know come to your desk as if we still did that, uh, and and say <laughs> hey, there's a problem. Right, it's that's slow queries. So that is why I think it takes up so much mind share for people. I think the I other thing. The... Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, um, because you you had a thought. I'll ask my question in a second. The other thing I found interesting with slow queries um, is since you mentioned, you know, the people running the systems, like I've also been on the side of, you know, like running a database as a service, right, a side of data, for example. And so one thing I found interesting is as a service provider, how do you delineate, you know, what's the customer's problem and what's your problem? And I think slow queries are actually a perfect example of what's not the provider's problem, right? So if, if you as the end user, like you use the database as a service, like Azure Postgres, for example, and you, you know, have a slow query, it's not the expectation that the service provider solves it for you, right? Versus if there is, you know, really badly performing, like, disk or something issue, right? Like, it's a hardware issue, then, of course, you know, that would be more on the service provider side. So I think slow queries are just also very common that they definitely end up in your, you know, like, on your plate as the end user of a database. And that's definitely one of the ways people differentiate that kind of white glove service versus just a provider of database as a service, right? Is that the more you get into the customer's queries and data, like it's kind of a different level of service. It's more expensive to provide and and it, it is a differentiator for some of the companies that do that kind of work. Yeah, and I think that's why there are um, Postgres users, right? Running applications on Postgres who are both running their application in the cloud on a fully managed database service, but they also have a consulting company that they're working with is helping them optimize uh, the performance of their database or scale it as they scale or, um, you know, helping them evolve new, new queries that support new features in their application um, is for that white glove service. Um, but is, is, is the intent still that, oh, sorry, uh, sorry, yeah. go ahead, Claire. 
Well, I just want to know, are we saying the same thing, Rob? Is that what you mean by white glove service? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's just the only question I think is how much does the provider take on that, you know, versus maybe working with consultants or, you know, whatever that mix is. Um, and I think for most people, because that doesn't scale as well as making tooling that, you know, can solve your own problem, you know, I mean, there's different ways to approach that. So if you're like, if you're a provider today and you're like, I'm going to do database as a service and you're like, I have to build out all this tooling. Well, the other thing you can do is just tell people like, go install PG Analyze, right? And and that gives you a lot of stuff that will help people self-service and not have to require, you know, individualized care and, and feeding. So there's kind of different ways to go at that, but but essentially, yeah, that's the idea. So the more you want to take that on and give that individualized service, like the more you will approach like a white glove service kind of thing. Okay. So are there other... to, yeah, I wanted to ask about more pain points. Other pain points we haven't mentioned yet? I mean, I think the thing that I'll maybe add is one thing that I've personally spent a lot of time thinking over the last couple of years is not just individual queries, for example, but really whole workloads, right? So I find that like it's it's challenging, at least from my experience, to really think about holistically think about all the queries that are running against your database and like all the activity that's happening, right? And like, have you done the right settings changes? Have you created the right indexes? So I think to me, like when we talk when we talk about slow queries, right? That's one very immediate pain point. But I think there's the bigger pain point of kind of reasoning about your database, like essentially making sense of all that workload that's happening. Um, because databases are so important, right? Like they are the core of, you know, everything that runs in terms of data often. Um, but then it's it's really hard to really say what's actually happening. So I think there's a pain point about just, just understanding what's going on that's not necessarily an individual slow query. Yeah, and that, it ties into like, there's just this natural evolution of systems, right? Like you start, usually with something that looks very OLTP oriented. Um, but but every system that starts that way, like eventually people are going to try to do analysis and aggregates and, you know, and sort of grouping queries and whatever sort of versions of those queries. And when they get into that, the way you tune for those types of queries is just different than how you tune, you know, for the very short, like insert, update, delete type stuff. And so now you're like, am I doing that on one system and making trade-offs there? Or do I replicate out to something else and try to do it you know, that way, or, you know, am I doing logical replication versus physical replication? And, you know, then you get into those architecture things that are, are pain points around figuring out what the right trade-offs are for that. So how should people think about monitoring? If you have someone that comes to you and let's say they're a SaaS um, vendor and they've been trying to monitor things on their own, but have been running up against performance issues and scalability issues and aren't sure they have things architected and aren't sure they've even got the right monitoring solution. Where do you start that conversation? Especially when Lucas, you're saying they need to be, they need to think holistically about it. Right. I mean, I think there's, in my mind, there's kind of two two ways to look at this, broadly speaking, <laughs> simplistically speaking, which is um, you look at it just from the high level, right? So you're essentially saying, what's my CPU utilization? What's my, I don't know, aggregate number of sequential scans? What's my, like, like some high level metrics, right? So you're just saying the kind of stuff that you can send to your Grafana dashboard, um, where you can, you know, use existing, um, like open source tools, like PG Watch, for example, to collect these high level metrics, right? So I think there's, there's ways to solve it in, in that high level sense. And then I think, what you know 
I think people should do, in my perspective, is they should find a way that they can actually drill down into individual problems, right? So really, and I think, like, to be completely fair, I actually don't think that this is an exact science. So if I have a spike in CPU utilization, there is unfortunately not enough data in many cases that I can tell you exactly why that spike happened. But I can oftentimes, like, for example, if you use pgAnalyze, I could show you which query most likely correlated with that or which autovacuum maybe was running at the same time or like essentially the database activity that correlates and then being able to say, well, why did that run, right? If it's an autovacuum, why did the autovacuum trigger? And so to me, you know, how people should think about monitoring is not just at the high level, but really like being able to like click on a number and understand why that number is there, I guess is what I'm saying. Who, who is the monitoring for? And and does and is the monitoring available for the right group of people? You you mentioned earlier that some some of the things you you mentioned like um, CPU consumption in the database is more of interest to the DBA, whereas the slow query is something the user is concerned about. Sorry, the app developer is concerned about and goes to the DBA asking for help fixing. Is there so a trend towards enabling the, the the developer to solve that problem on their own? So I'd be curious on Rob's perspective, but my quick take on this is that um, what we've seen is at scale, right, when companies have many application teams, usually you would have a central like data team, right, like some sort of data team that kind of standardizes how the company kind of provisions Postgres, how the company scales Postgres, all that stuff. And so I think these problems, right, like the CPU utilization problem, for example, that usually lands on that data team's um, steps essentially, but then the slow query, they, that might actually be something that you know only the application engineers can solve. And so I think one of the challenges here is that by default, you know, you'll only have a very limited number of Postgres experts in your company. And so by default, those would probably be in that data team that's central. And so oftentimes I think they're bogged down with slow queries, right? And so I think one of the things that I actually kind of care about that I want to make, you know, like I think PG Analyst can help also solve is that we can give application engineers better education, better knowledge about Postgres as a database, right, as an application engineer, so that these slow query problems, they are essentially solved by the teams that actually use the database directly, right, that, are, that know the application, that can change the queries. And then only like the, the really hard problems, like where, you know, it's not straightforward to solve or where it's, you know, actual CPU utilization, like hitting a bottleneck of some internal locks or something, um, then you actually need that central team's attention, right, or that data engineer's attention. But I know, Rob, if you share that perspective or... Yeah, I would pretty much agree with all of that. I mean, to me, the answer to these questions is not really technical, right? It's just, it's however your company is organized. Uh, and, and kind of the two axes are on, you know, there's a skill level that's required to be able to solve these problems. So if your developers have that skill level, then, you know, to my mind, like they should be able to see that, get access to these kinds of metrics and, and these graphs and that kind of stuff. Um, and then the other one is just responsibility. So it's, you know, who you've designated as the responsible parties. And as you scale companies, I think like you're saying that eventually you cannot hire enough DBAs to like take that responsibility on for every app developer, right? In most companies, it's, you know, 10, 20, 40, 50, I don't know, to one, the number of developers versus folks that would be, you know, quote unquote DBAs. So from that standpoint, you really need to be able to push that responsibility. And then with that, you know, the skills back to the developers to have the ability to actually troubleshoot those problems. So, I mean, I, I, one of our core tenets with Circonus was we wanted to be able to share data with anyone in the company, essentially. And because we thought a lot of times just when you're having a conversation about what a potential problem is, if you, you know, we, we, we went to 
we got this from consulting, right? Where you would go into a place and you could figure out like, here's what the problem is looking at the graphs. And then you wanted to show the graph to some other team. And it was like, oh, they don't have the right VPN to access, you know, the tool that actually shows the graph or the thing. So then you're like trying to do screenshots and send those an email and whatever. And it, you know, and if you need a little bit of a dynamic story there, that just seemed like such a pain. So something that's very easily shareable, you know, web-based tooling and that to me is very natural. And you want to share it with anyone and everyone. And the only caveat is like, sometimes if you show someone a graph and they don't understand it, you know, you have to be prepared to, to be able to explain that to them uh, so that they don't make the wrong conclusions about what they're seeing. Um, but otherwise to me, like you should be able to share it with everyone. And it just goes back to how are you gonna map skill set and responsibility uh, for, for the problems that you know are gonna come. Rob, are you saying just shareable or also centralized monitoring? Because I, I, um, I'm wondering whether the DBAs and the app developers each need their own monitoring of what's going on inside the database, but perhaps at different levels of granularity. So there, there might be a different sort of question in there, which to me is more about, do you want like a kind of single monitoring interface versus like, do you want specific tooling, right? So if you look at something like PG Mustard or PG Analyze, those are, you know, kind of two very Postgres focused tools. And so if you're on a team, you know, if you're on a development team and you're making use of like Postgres, but maybe you also have Reddish as a front end cache, and I say to you, like, well, we'll give you PG Analyze. And you're like, well, how do I troubleshoot Redis with that? And the answer is you don't, right? So you're you're going to need some other tool. So so then it's just kind of organizationally, do we want to try to take, you know, a generic tool, which Circonus would be one, you know, but there's others, Honeycomb, I guess, Datadog, whatever, right? Any of those sort of big name brand monitoring systems and say all of those can monitor Postgres. It's more work probably to get all the right pieces in there. That's the thing that, that the you know, Postgres specific services give you very easy out of the box, but you can get those to, to give you the metrics and data that you need. And so then you can have something that everybody understands how to use and share and whatnot. Um, but that's kind of a different trade-off, right? That, that you're just trying to decide, like, do I need the very specific thing? And maybe the only team that needs the very specific thing is like a special, you know, data platform team that, that has to have that. Um, but ultimately they're going to end up wanting, you know, if they get a special tool, they're going to want it on every database that they're going to get asked questions about. And so then once they have that, you know, connected to those databases, you're going to say, well, why don't I just share it with those teams? So, you know, a lot of companies I notice they end up doing both, both things. So they'll buy the specialized tools and they'll have a generic platform for everybody. So. So do you have specific yeah. recommendations for app devs that you know, might have a DBA, D, DBA team, they might be able to influence the, the, the DBA team, maybe not. What should they be doing? So I have a, I have, a, I don't have a better answer than go install PG Analyze, and I feel bad because I'm sure there's other people <laughs> doing other monitor stuff. I mean, I, most of these tools are are pretty good. The Postgres specific ones, I think, are pretty good. Even if you look at something um, like Performance Insights in Amazon, uh, you know, I think that's maybe not as Postgres specific as it is towards like Amazon Database of Service, but that's a pretty good tool. I mean, I I know developers who use that and can use that to troubleshoot their problems. So, you know, I, I think it's, again, it's just the response. If you are going to say like, hey, if you're thinking like, you know, sort of service-oriented architecture where you have service teams underneath and the developers are responsible, you know, for the whole stack and maybe they have an SRE team or a DBRE team that they can escalate to when they run into problems, but ultimately they're responsible for that, then I think they need access to the specific tools and probably, you know, generalized tooling as well. And, and you want to do both. But that's a really larger company that's going to have that type of setup. 
you know, if you're a 40 person company and you got 20 engineers and, you know, a couple of sysadmins and a DBA, that's probably not how you're going to build your tooling. Cause it's just, it's more really than I think you can probably handle. Cause all of this stuff, but, like that's the other part, even, even with the software as a service pieces, like it takes work to make sure those things are working, you know, uh, as well. Like even as much as I love something like PG Analyze, like we, you know, at places that I have used it, like there was a team that was responsible for keeping that up and running, meaning making sure it still had connections into the systems and the log files were still getting fed to it correctly, right? Because there are security pieces that have to get put in place to to make those pieces work. So right. even those things, like they're very good at making it easy to see the Postgres bits, but you still have to have somebody responsible for keeping them running. So, but I so think one of you... the things that's... Claire, if you don't mind me touching on, on one thing really quick, which is, I think, um, and Jeremy actually also posted this in the uh, chat, which is, you know, it's these days, it's not really an issue of VPNs, it's more of an issue of logins. And so I think to me, the one thing I do want to call out here is, um, I think it's really powerful when a tool that, you, you know, is sometimes useful, right? Like if you run into a problem, you really want to dive into it, um, that you then have single sign-on for it, right? And so I think one of the conscious choices that we, for example, made is when we built Peach Analyze is that we have single sign-on and we don't charge for users, right? So if you add your application engineer to the system, right, all it takes is to integrate a single sign-on and then if you want to send them a link, you can. And so I think that's really an important property when we think about these, you know, tools that we provide to the teams is that we don't build these artificial gates where people suddenly have to either remember a login, be added as a user, or worst case, you know, you, char you charge extra for a seat. I think it's really important that people can just access it. So, but go ahead, Claire. Oh, I think I'm, I'm thrilled you jumped in with that. And I want to build on this whole part of the conversation with, like, at the end of today's call, I, I wanted to ask, like, what are the top five to six monitoring tools? that everybody should have either in their toolbox or at least consider putting in their toolbox. Like, I don't feel like today's conversation should be about there's one way to do things. And the beautiful thing in the Postgres world is that it's an open source ecosystem. And so you have choice, which is great, but choice is also hard when you're new because you, you, you're not sure which to choose. So I'm just curious if either of you have recommendations, top five to six, monitoring tools to consider. Obviously, PG Analyze is on that, that list. I will put it on the list. What else? So my perspective is you should not ask me because I'm going to be biased. <laughs> um, although I'm happy, I'm happy to share you know, what I know um, in the open source world. Um, I think uh, I would, you know, there's a monitoring page on the Postgres Wiki that's community maintained. PG Analyze is on there, but many other tools are too. So if you want to have a non-biased perspective, um, I would recommend going to that monitoring page in the Postgres Wiki. But that's my perspective. Awesome. And Jeremy just dropped that link in the chat. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, okay. Rob? Yeah, I don't know that I, I want to pick favorites. I mean, I, the two that, for me, I always end up coming back to were PG Mustard and PG Analyze. When I was trying to solve other problems, and then, like, you Google on a certain term, like, they have good enough documentation that you end up reading their documentation about, you know, some internal piece of Postgres uh, and how it relates to the monitoring world. So I would definitely shout out both of those two. Um, as things that you should look at because they're doing a lot of things correctly. Um, when I think back to that, you know, check please talk that I did, you know, now a decade plus ago. 2009. And the sort of er yeah, the areas that I remember going through and I'm like, if you look at these solutions, like they built them and, you know, they do actually check the boxes on you need access to this and that information. So um, I think I, I would say, look at those two that Question I maybe would have for Lucas, I'll, I'll throw them in a different direction. If you don't want to use a SaaS solution, 
-hmm. then I would be curious if he has a recommendation specifically for that, because I think that's a, a more sort of difficult you mean problem a or a different solution one. for monitoring. For monitoring specifically, yeah. Okay. And do you mean on-premise compatible or open source? Uh, if if that is a if you have different answers for those, um, I, I do. I so think I mean, everyone would things... say, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. So then both. Yeah. So the, the the context there is we actually like because people ask that question, right? We've actually offered PG Analyze. We do offer PG Analyze as a kind of self-contained software package as well, right? So for those people that want to have no data leave their environment, we actually package it as a container, and you can just run it inside your systems. So that would you know fulfill the don't send the data into the cloud checkbox. Um, I think, you know, in terms of like, if we don't think on the commercial side, but we think on the open source side, I think, um, one project you could look at is PG hero, for example, um, that's maintained by Andrew Kane uses some of our open source projects from PG analyze also. Um, and I think it's a great starting point for monitoring that can just be easily run on your own systems. And I'll just, uh, ch chime in to say, um, Andrew Atkinson on the chat, um, pointed out PG dash.io which I think is another proprietary solution, but they have a lot of uh, community contributions and helpful blog posts. Yep, that's right. I think PG Dash in spirit is very similar to what PG Analyze does. So maybe the one other thing I would add to this, uh, and this was kind of the mantra that we took from a consulting standpoint, was also uh, that a lot of times, like when you go in, if you like, if you're starting a new job uh, as a DBA at a company, the first battle you want to fight probably is not like I need this particular monitoring solution fight. Um, again, most of the existing solutions that are out there have the ability to do things like ad hoc SQL against the database. So you can go and figure out like, what are the queries I need to run to get pieces of information out of my system? And I probably would say as a first step, try to put that data into the existing systems that the company is already familiar with so that you're not really fighting a battle, right? You're just saying like, hey, I want to add monitoring. I don't need a whole solution. I don't need to have different deployments or whatever. How do I just add these queries in? You know, And if for some reason the system can't do that, then then you have a leg to stand on and saying, well, can I go get this other thing? Because I know it does it all and you know it's whiz bang and awesome. So um, that might be sort of like career advice I would give that that's not the first fight you want to have. Like go solve some problems, make graphs available to people and, and then you know maybe go and say, hey, can we get some better tooling in here? Uh, you know, again, kind of depending on how your shop is about bringing in new tools and how difficult that is. Well, I think that advice about pick your battles carefully and don't don't try to change things overnight is good advice starting at a new company in all sorts of different functional roles, right? Um, because there'll be so much inertia, right, when you're there. So yep. point well taken. So back to my top five, six monitoring tools um, and that you should have in your toolbox. Neither of you mentioned PG stats statements. Is that because you were just thinking, okay, add-ons on top of Postgres and PG stats statements is already in Postgres? Is that because it's too low level? Is that because it goes without saying? I, I would argue that that's kind of what, what Rob was alluding to, right, in terms of being able to just run the query. Because I think ultimately PG stats statements, you can just do select star from PG stats statements and get the queries that have run the database. Um, and so that is a, a starting point where you don't need to get any external tools. And so I would say it's a very important tool in, in you know, everybody's tool belt. Um, PG Analyze uses PG Dash statements. Um, PG Hero, PG Dash, basically everybody who gets query statistics is going to use PG Dash statements underneath the hood. Um, so I, I do think it should be listed. Okay. So if I'm yeah. a college hire starting off in a 
data team and I, I'm focused on monitoring, this is something I should also be learning about PG stat statements that is. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I would definitely say you need to be aware of it. Um, you, you can, I mean, you can get by without it if you have to, but I would say you don't want to. So, and, and the only reason I mentioned that is, I mean, I, I have been in environments where if you say you want to install an extension, uh, you know, that might take some kind of political capital to be able to do that, even for something as built in as PG stat statements, just because those systems are so locked down, you know, due to the nature of, of, I don't know, whatever security compliance, you know, regulation that the company has. Um, right. So if you had to use something like PG Badger and try to get the information from log files, um, you can get a lot of that same information from PG Badger. So that's another one that I say is probably worth looking at. Uh, and in fact, th just thinking about it, there's a very old tool that we have that I'm pretty sure still works, but it's written in Perl, like so many old tools, um, was a, a little Perl script that we had called System Monitoring. And basically it was just a Perl script that was designed to run like queries against the Postgres database and dump them to log files that you could like grep and awk and whatever. And and the only reason I mentioned it is like, again, it's a tool that I, I would hope that you wouldn't necessarily have to use it, but if you're in an environment where it's so locked down where you can't install stuff or people are worried about, you know, having things on the machine, you know, on the database server changing or whatever, like that one can run completely external and it just dumps data to a text file. So it doesn't have to send it anywhere or anything like that. Uh, and so it's a very easy one to then be able to go and study data after the fact, you know, because everything is pure text. So it doesn't take up much space, you know, it's very lightweight, that kind of stuff. So I think there are some other things out there, you know, it's just that ideally you don't have to really think about it at that low of a level, right? Like if you go into an environment that is, you know, it's a problem to install PG stat statements, like you're going to have a lot of other problems there as well, just because that's, you know, it's, it's almost like expected to be there. Uh, I think for most people. And and I would say it is there by default most of the days, right? So so like I think yeah. most databases service providers install it by default. And so it, you just need to do create extension like and it works, right? So it's not like you need to add things to share preload libraries and all that stuff. So um, I think luckily that has changed, right? Versus like five years ago, you might have had like a lot of extra work to get it enabled. Yeah, I, I, even I, I think I like most it. packagers, as I say, most packagers now include that uh, it used to be the packaging was split out a little more. So if you were a contrib module, like you needed a different RPM to be installed. And, right. and you know, that could be a problem like, oh, that's not on our approved list of RPMs. You can't have the contrib modules. Um, I think by and large, that problem doesn't exist anywhere. But I would say I wouldn't be surprised if some people still run into it. I think as part of this conversation, we should j just uh, mention for uh, listeners that um, enterprise monitoring tools, um, Foglight, Percona, SolarWinds, Datadog have, have Postgres specific support. So if you have one of these um, at your company, then uh, you can also, uh, and it's not enabled, look into that. But I, I would yeah, say, I, oh, Rock, go ahead. Uh, I was, I was going to trash those tools, so you should let me do that. Um, I mean, Please I just, <laughs> just, yeah, to say that, like, just be aware that the, what they're going to give you is not as good as what these more dedicated tools like PG Mustard, PG Analyze, and PG Dash, any of those sort of like, you know, PG oriented tools, they will just give you a level of depth and I think more insight into why you're monitoring, what you're monitoring, than you will get from these more generic tools. If the more generic tool is the thing that the company has, right, if you're at like an Oracle SQL Server shop and they have SolarWinds and they say, we're going to launch a Postgres thing, 
Like, I think it's maybe worth asking, like, hey, can we get this Postgres tool first? And when they tell you no, then say, okay, now I'm going to go into SolarWinds and I'm going to try to configure that to get information. And again, it's just going to be more work to do it. And, you know, you'll have to kind of get through that. Uh, and so you can probably get a good enough job with that stuff to start with. Um, but it's just not going to give you the full-on amount of depth that you can get from some of the Postgres-specific stuff. Yeah, and I would add one more thing to that, which is one thing that we often see is when people come from Oracle, for example, really what they're comparing us with, a little bit at least, is more like Oracle Enterprise Manager or other mm -hmm. tools that are very Oracle-specific, right? So it's for them, it's really that in-depth tool that they're missing on the Postgres side, which is why they then come to PG Analyze or other like Postgres-specific tools. Yep. Okay. Now, we haven't talked about PGStat.io. So let's say I'm a new hire in the data team got to spin up on monitoring and learn to understand this space. Is pgstat.io something that I need to learn about, put in my toolbox? If you're in Postgres 16, yes. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, so new feature, obviously I'm a bit biased, by the way, full disclosure, it's a new feature in Postgres 16. And the lead author um, is an engineer named Melanie Plagman who works on the team at Microsoft. So I know about it. It's on my radar, but I'm curious how you think about it. Yeah, I mean, I would ask Lucas if he's, yeah, have you seen a lot of it in the wild? Because uh, so I've, what I've told folks who have asked me about it, I'm skeptical that the data you'll get from that in like a cloud provider will be uh, how useful it will be. Because just generally cloud providers don't want to give you all the details on IO that's going on in your system. And so this exposes some of that. I'm not sure. You know, if you're a person who's like, I need PSQL and I want to be on the command line and I'm going to run IO stat and sort of all those like really low level, you know, systems oriented tools. I don't know that this will give you that piece. Right. So you might still be missing something. No. Uh, and at the moment, it's just too early for me to know the answer. I don't know if Lucas has more data on that. I mean, I have thoughts on it and I have some early anecdotal data, I would say. So the thoughts for context, um, I did review that patch during the Postgres 16 development cycle. And so I have some context on the different thoughts around it. Although Melanie, of course, you know, having written it would be the expert to ask about it. Um, but I do think that really what PeachStat.io does is it provides you the Postgres view of the world in terms of IO activity. And the gap that it's filling, like if you look back to previous releases, um, you mainly had things like pgstat pg writer or pgstat database that provided you some sense for which IO activity Postgres was, you know, kind of creating. Um, or, for example, pgstat statements was tracking, you know, shared buffers hit and such. Um, but the really what pgstat.io does, and which I think is extremely helpful, is that it gives you a an all up top level view of all the IO activity issued by Postgres and which subsystem issued it. Right. So it doesn't tell you which query it did right like that's pgstat statements's role but what pgstat.io will do is will tell you was auto vacuum busy was you know the checkpointer busy was a query backend busy and so i think that level of information wasn't really accessible before and so i do think it's going to be very helpful just to help you understand if you're seeing a spike in activity like on io you know let's say on your system metrics you see an spike in iops pgstat.io will tell you will be able to tell you which part of postgres caused that um 
One thing I found interesting, um, Aurora recently um, released Postgres 16 support, or is in preview, and I know also Citus, um, like uh, Azure Cosmos DB, also has Postgres 16 support already in production, so you should definitely use that. Um, but what I found interesting on the Aurora side, because they modified Postgres heavily, and so they actually changed the information that PGSet.io returns to reflect some of the differences in the I.O. subsystem. Um, and so I don't have enough data yet to say, is it actually useful on you know, modified Postgres like Aurora? But I do think that that's going to be interesting to observe is how, you know, PGSet.io gets used by the different, the different providers that modify Postgres and actually, you know, have very different I.O. subsystems. That's actually a super helpful explanation of what it is. Um, so thank you for that. Sure. Um, Maybe we should mention, you. sorry, okay. uh, uh, Claire, um, in the interest of folks that would uh, not know that Aurora um, has a, uh, its own uh, custom storage system. So it's not uh, vanilla Postgres. And, and that's maybe why they, they need to make modifi modifications in pgstat.io to make the IO uh, meaningful. That's right. Yeah, essentially, like certain behavior, like checkpointer, right? Like, is a very Postgres-specific concept, and Aurora obviously modified that heavily. Um, I imagine you know another uh, provider that probably have similar like challenges would be Neon, right? Um, so if with Neon, they also modified Postgres in a similar way that Aurora is modified, and so I would expect PeachStatio looking differently on those providers. I was going to segue for a split second and try to surprise you, Lucas, or maybe mm -hmm. delight you even. Um, you mentioned that uh, Citus already supported PG-16, which is probably within a couple of days uh, when PG-16 came out. But Azure Database for Postgres, the Flex server option, now supports Postgres 16 in production as nice. of a couple of weeks ago. So that, that is wonderful news. <laughs> yeah, well, it usually in the past, in past releases, it has taken me a lot longer to get there and so yeah yeah and i think you know um i'm no longer you know affiliated so i can say that i think azure for example has really you know um done a great job at actually being faster at you know releasing new postgres versions and in completeness's sake also aws i think has actually gotten better at this as well um yeah. so I, I think across the board you know what we're seeing is that these new postgres releases you used to have to wait a full year to get them on your managed providers and now it's usually at the first patch release at the latest um, you'll have support for that in production, which I think is a, a great change and a great improvement. Yes, I agree. It makes me happy, especially since I work for a Postgres provider. And I know <laughs> we've got we've got some AWS folks here on the chat too, and um, they probably feel the same way. So uh, monitoring. Um, I'm curious what, with all the improvements that both of you have seen happen in Postgres, over the last 10 plus years, um, are there still things on your wish list that you think Postgres could do better and that you hope it will do better in those areas in the future? Do you have a wish list? I have one, but I'm curious about Rob's thoughts. Oh, okay, Rob yeah. gets to go first. Uh, I, I was gonna put this to Lucas. I think his wish list <laughs> might be more interesting than mine. Well, let me echo something that Rob said earlier, which is around D-Trace, right? So these days you have eBPF trace kind of replacing it or BPF trace, replacing a lot of that functionality. And one thing I really wish we had, which I don't know how we'll get there, but I think there's certain types of analysis slash monitoring. So it's kind of more in the maybe too, too deep <laughs> to be called monitoring, um, like more profiling. But I think one thing I'm really missing today is an ability to get the level of detail that a BPF trace or perf on Linux uh, can get you on managed providers, right? So the 
in a sense, sad truth from a you know, getting access to data perspective is that most people these days run on managed service providers. And so you don't have the ability to just run a tool like BPF trace or perf um, on the command line. And I really wish that we, f we would find a way that we could, you know, get people access to that more easily because there are certain kinds of Postgres problems that you can't really understand. Like, for example, one thing that people say, you know, hey, I'm having this wait event that's, you know, kind of bottlenecked, you know, I see, I see this wait event spike. And then if you had access to, you know, tool like perf or tool like BPF trace, you could actually much better, you know, get like low level information, um, like on demand, um, when you need it. Versus I think these days, you're kind of, you know, you, you oftentimes your analysis has to stop short, because you don't have that level of access. Um, and so I think either giving away that, you know, I'm imagining like a B PG eBPF trace extension that, you know, providers find acceptable, that would be great. Um, or some other way of, you know, like more weight event related information, I think would also be helpful, right? So like, why, why is my system bottlenecked on this LW lock, lock manager or whatever it is? And, you know, what else can I know about this besides the fact that it's bottlenecked? Lucas, does that require eBPF trace? Is that like running in debug mode all the time or just the ability to tap into uh, Linux kernel calls, system calls? It, it, it's more in the latter. So it, it's it, my understanding, and I'm definitely not an expert on this, but my understanding is it, it's very low overhead when you don't use it. And then when you are using it, you're essentially hooking into existing trace points in the binary, which it's not a lot of, like, I don't think there's a reason not to have those. So it's more a, it's a root access problem, right? So today on the managed service provider, you don't have enough access to run these tools, but I don't think it would be performance overhead if you were not actively using it. So you Thanks. touched on something, which is monitoring in the scenario where your application is running in the cloud and you're running on a, a managed service like RDS Postgres or Azure Database for Postgres. Um, when I think about those users, those cloud database customers, do they need to be skilled at monitoring in the same way that an on-prem user with self-managed Postgres needs to be skilled at monitoring? Like, how is that different? I, I think it kind of depends just really how hard you're pushing your systems uh, is the answer of how much of that need you have. Um, and even in that case, like, it, it may not matter. Like, when I've been on systems that are pushing very difficult, you know, very hard workloads, uh, and you just don't have access to the system stuff, you know, then there's a question of whether you need to learn those skills at all, right? Because if you're going to, you know, like, if you wanted to get, like, traces from the system now, and you're in, you know, managed service provider, like, the only way to get that, and probably in most, you even still couldn't even do this, but, like, you can open a ticket with a service provider and say, hey, could you go run, you know, this, like, tracing script and see what data it gives you back. And I think that the person on the other end of that ticket would actually probably flip out and be like, you know, wh who is this person? <laughs> Why are they asking me to do this? This would seem crazy. Whereas if you have access to those tools, right, because you're running on-prem or you're running, even it doesn't have to be, you know, it could be like EC2 or something where you just have access to the underlying system and those system level tools. I, I mean, I would say you want to learn that, but is it a top priority? Like it may not be where you're working. You know, for the work that we did as consultants that were trying to push the envelope with Postgres, we needed to learn that tool set at least somewhat. Like, there needed to be a few people who had some idea of, again, like systems. Well, it didn't have to be like tracing tools necessarily, 
but even again, things like IOSTAT and PERF and, you know, there's sort of other stuff at the command line level you can get access to that I think are good to have. But if you can't ever use those because all the companies you're going to work at, you know, are using managed providers where you never get systems access, it's hard for me to argue that, that that's a skill set that you're going to invest a lot of time into. Well, I think, I think I was asking a slightly different question, which is like, if I'm a customer running Postgres as a managed service, do I need to be as expert in monitoring as if I'm running it on-prem? Um, or is my knowledge and understanding of monitoring the same in both cases? I need to be skilled at it. I need to care about it. I mean, I would argue the emphasis is different, right? Like we, we kind of touched on this earlier, but the emphasis on system level problems becomes a bit less in the cloud. Like you, you don't really, you don't get a free pass, right? So if your utilization spikes, like the provider is not going to fix it for you. Um, but for example, if you have a bad disk, it needs to be replaced. That type of problem goes away because presumably your cloud provider has a way of monitoring for that bad disk. Um, and so I, I really think that it shifts a little bit like on-prem monitoring means a lot more infrastructure monitoring versus in the cloud. I think it means more like, like workload monitoring. Okay, got it. That actually makes a lot of sense. So some of the hardware problems, um, hopefully the, the cloud vendor will just take care of those. They'll detect it before I even notice and fix it or soon after I notice and fix it. But, but any of the software level potential issues with slow queries, for example, I, as a customer, am still going to need to be paying attention to and potentially solving for probably solving yeah. for. Did yeah, I say and that I, right? I, I would agree with that. I think the tricky part is that there are occasions where if you're in the cloud and trying to use cloud-based database services, your performance problem could originate at a level that's low enough that you don't have the ability to go see that. And if you had access to something like you know the BPF trace tooling, you would be able to see it because it can be a change. Like maybe there's a change in how Postgres operates you know, especially speaking of our pain points, like one of the pain points is these major version upgrades, right? And being able to monitor back and forth across those upgrades and that kind of thing. And so when you do that, there are, you know, 99% of all the performance changes are positive. And then there's the 1% that you hit that's like, well, I didn't change my query, right? But now maybe I get a different plan. And why is this plan different? And why is it so much slower or whatever? And the answer could be because Postgres has changed something internally in how it actually approaches trying to solve that problem. Uh, and I think those cases are rare, but they do happen. And in the cloud, like you end up trying different indexing strategies and maybe it ends up getting reported as a bug or something like that, you know, and then somebody figures it out somewhere. But you don't have access to the tools that you would need to figure that out yourself, right? Because you cannot get in there and get the traces and that information. You know, you just don't have that tooling available. So is it rare? Yes, it's definitely a rare scenario. And again, that will come back to maybe you've made the choice to be in the cloud. So you're saying in those rare scenarios, we put that on the cloud provider and we don't expect our people, again, to know things like GDB and system tracing and that kind of stuff because they wouldn't be able to use it. All right, so we, we are, we're going to run out of time soon, but I have one parting question I really want to ask you both. And how can you have any conversation these days without AI coming into the mix? Um, I am curious what your vision is in terms of thinking about how Postgres monitoring will change or may change in the future um, if you were to fast forward, say, five years. 
Do you get asked that well, question? Have you thought about it? <laughs> I think the the version of the question that I hear people asking is like, do are we still going to need DBAs, right? Or is the AI going to be able to monitor everything right. and make all the adjustments and whatnot? Um, and I think my short answer to that is that a lot of times when you're doing performance troubleshooting and and just you know systems running systems in general, a lot of times it's not actually even a technical problem, right? It's really more about either some kind of like political or economic trade-off that's going into place. And that seems very difficult to model in AI uh, because it's the kind of thing that could change depending on, you know, the time of the year or who's in the meeting or whatever. And so that seems very difficult. So I think those tools, there's a really good talk that I saw, I think it was at PGConf New York City. Um, and maybe as I see from the Autotune folks about, you know, why automatic AI based kind of monitoring doesn't work. And it's kind of a tongue in cheek, tongue in cheek talk about here's all the ways that it does actually make things better. Um, you know, but sort of labeled in the opposite to get people to go because DBAs are always going to be like, nah, it'll never work. And I, so I think there's a lot of advantages, you know, that will come out of that. And if you like to see that talk, you're like, okay, yeah, I can see where a lot of this stuff will get better. I don't know. Five years seems like a short time frame to me because one of the things he, he pointed out, um, I'm trying to think of the guy's name, Andy, uh, Pavlo. Andy Pavlo. Yeah. He gave the so keynote he, at PGConf New York City as well this year. Okay. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember if that was his keynote or if it was a different talk that I saw him do. But like he points out that where he sees a lot of value is when people take that software that they have that's kind of sort of, you know, it's really more ML based than AI based, but, and they run it against their production workloads, which is what they tell you not to do. Right. But again, you have to do it against production because you need real data in order to, make any kind of analytical decision that will be useful. So people run it against production and they do see improvements in performance. Okay, I think that's good, right? So clearly the tools I think can benefit us somewhere down the line. And then it's a question of, is it five years? Is it 10 years? You know, I, I don't know. That's I think a little bit harder to guess at, but I'll still go back to the original things we were talking about, like trade-offs of OLTB versus OLAP. And are you gonna split that off into a second machine in order to do the tuning for the queries because they need to be tuned differently and the servers need to be tuned differently. Like, I don't see the AI making that decision, right? Like it's not, it, it can try to do that balance, but at some point somebody's going to have to say, you know what, we need a second server. We need to do replication. We need to be able to build specific queries on that. Um, that seems to me like something that even in 10 years time would be very difficult to be able to just outsource to an AI to make those kinds of decisions. So Pino and I were talking beforehand and and he was like, Claire, we're gonna we're gonna end up talking about tuning. Someone's gonna take us in that direction. But that's a whole nother podcast, right? And I do think that's a whole nother interesting podcast topic. Um, but back to PG Conf New York City, um, Andy Pavlo was there, he gave the keynote talk, there was another auto tune talk, and there was another um tuning company who I think was a sponsor at that event, or somehow I met them. Um those folks are called DB Tune. So um, tuning is definitely on people's radar, and we probably should have that as a topic in the future. Yeah, All right, Lucas, what's your answer? Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I, I, I have never opinion. forget about you. <laughs> um, I think, let me see, how do I put this best? I think, first of all, I think we, we, should, we are all doing ourselves a disservice by calling 
AI something that it's thinking AI does something more than what it's actually doing, right? So we're not at the point where AI is actually reasoning or is actually thinking. We're at a point where it seems plausible in terms of the responses that it gives us. And so I think it, I'm I'm really conscious of you know not just saying hey you know because we have ChatGPT now DBAs are going to be replaced because that's stupid, right? That's not going to happen. Um, I do think that there are systems that are interesting. I think uh, what Autotune and DBTune are doing, like ML-based systems or Bayesian statistics-based systems are quite interesting, right? Um, I think what worries me a little bit with some of those systems is that's become a little bit of a, you know, kind of magic box that does things without somebody being able to follow what's going on. Um, so my personal perspective, and I'm definitely biased on this because, you know, in, in a sense, we are competing on some of these things, with, for example, Autotune. Um, but what we do in PG Analyze, um, we're currently in the process of rolling out a new version of our index advisor. And one of the things that we found was really important with making index recommendations is that any recommendation that we give you you can follow what happened, right? It might not be a good recommendation, but you will know why it's not a good recommendation. And I, I really wish that, you know, whichever systems we see over the next couple of years emerge, be it, you know, something that PGLIS, for example, does or something that other companies do, is that we really pay attention to giving transparency in terms of here is why this decision was reached, here is why it's recommending to change the setting, so that if a human wants to then think about, you know, should I apply this to all my systems? When should we use this, right? Like, I think that whole function of a person thinking about it doesn't go away because AI can't really solve for that, at least not today. So I would say in the short term, better tools to help, you know, people make decisions. In the long term, maybe the decisions are made by the AI. Who knows? I mean, that's 10 plus years. Um, time for my dog. I've heard that principle, gonna... right? That until, we, until, until people, until you can fully trust the, the AI to take over, then you want the AI to be explainable uh, so that people can follow what it did and, and maybe second guess. Right. I just want to jump in here and use this opportunity. There's, I know there's some people out there with bingo cards waiting for me to say it. And so Lucas has given me the opening. Uh, and going back to the question about wish lists, um, I'm going to mention PG Hint Plan. So everyone, take your drink. Um, as a tool <laughs> that when you get the index advisor telling you like, hey, maybe you need this index or get rid of this or whatever, like it'd be great if we had some mechanism in Postgres to actually be able to test that in a production setting where the data is real. Uh, and PG Hint Plan could actually do that. So, you know, that would be on my wish list, even though it's not strictly a monitoring tool, it can be very useful for work related around that. So, okay, yeah, so super, quick, super quick to find PG Hint Plan for people unfamiliar. Please. So it is uh, an extension to Postgres. It basically allows you to do query hinting. Uh, and one of the main things would be telling Postgres to use specific indexes or to not use specific indexes when you run a query. So you can get the explain plan and compare explain plans without actually having to drop indexes or you know do sort of other, like drop it in a transaction and roll back or whatever crazy tricks people come up with. Like you just say, run it on this index, run it on the other index. Let me study the explain plans. And now I can see you know, which one I would want to choose. Okay, so now that we know what it is, can you tell us what your idea to make PG Hint Plan even better is again? Well, so I think just the first step would be having it more accessible to people because it's that's not it's not like PG Stat Statements where everybody gets it. So only certain providers actually provide it because it's kind of an externally developed uh, uh, extension. So step one would be getting it more accessible. But to me, step two would be actually incorporating it into core. Uh, and I think there's some things that we could do if it were 
if if hinting were in core itself that you cannot do as an extension. So, uh, you know, to me, I'm sort of a hint plan person that, that I'm like, we should have hints in core uh, and I'm full in on that. So that's where I would go with it. Um, but even just getting more people access to the extension to me is a win for most end users. And, and I think would that mean that permanently an external system would would be making recommendations to Postgres about about the planning, or just uh, temporarily? Can, yeah. So this is usually it's temporarily, and that's how I would recommend you use it um, is to do it as more of a temporary thing rather than trying to force particular plans that may need to change over time. So there is some some danger. This is the argument against having it is that people might use it wrong, but I feel like you can use SQL wrong and we still let people use that. So, you know, let's educate as we provide the tools that, that people need. And, and I would add where I found it really useful is in the situation where you have a plan that's unexpected. So you're like, why is Postgres first, you know, loading data from this table and then joining against the other one and doing a nested loop? Like PG Hint Plan helps you ask that what if question, right? Like why, like, what was the cost of the alternate plan? Because you can just tell the planner, you must use this index or you must use this order of joining the tables. And then it gives you that cost. And that's a super useful debugging tool, um, even if you're not per like persisting that. I know when I was preparing for my talk about Postgres extensions at PG Comp New York City, I talked to Rob and got some of his inputs beforehand. And PG Hint Plan was in that conversation too. He's like, oh, you got to talk about it. It's so important. It's so useful. So yeah, everybody take a drink. <laughs> All right. Well, um, before we say our goodbyes and say thank you, is there anything either of you really wanted to say on the podcast today about your journey into Postgres monitoring that we didn't talk about? Last chance. I mean, I would say uh, this is a small thing, but we need more people sharing upstream on the Postgres mailing lists what your experiences are with monitoring. So if you are using Postgres and you're using PG Hint Plan or PG Set Statements, um, I think we need more people working on this stuff um, on Postgres itself um, upstream. So definitely plus one to anybody who feels like they, you know, have feedback. I think it's good. It's good to engage with the community on this because oftentimes that perspective is lost. I think on the hackers mail lists. So for those of you who don't know what we mean by mailing list, that's actually how the Postgres development community um, communicates with each other is on these mailing lists that are public. You can go read them. There's a lot of conversation. Um, and specifically, I've had other Postgres committers tell me that they love it when users um, give feedback on the, it's the PG SQL hyphen hackers mailing list in particular that you're talking about, Lucas, right? That's right. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. So PG set statements, which we talked about earlier, there's a long-standing patch to discuss how end lists should be handled in PG set statements. It's very specific, so I'll not go into detail. But if you have opinions on this, because you are an end user of PG set statements, it's very helpful if you essentially chime in on these uh, email threads so that then, you know, we get a better Postgres. Can you drop that link, do you mind, in the, the Discord chat, Lucas? Um, I'll we'll have a hard time it. finding it in short term, oh, but I'll try it. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, no, then we can include it in the show notes for the show. So you could drop it in later today or something. It doesn't have to be this moment. Okay. All right. So that's your one thing. Rob, what about you? Uh, I think the, the thing maybe I would just mention to cover um, for folks that are trying to get into monitoring and learn more about it, uh, remember that there are kind of two pieces of information that you're trying to gather with a lot of the stuff. And one is sort of what is going on now. And then is like what has happened over time. And those two things, a lot of the data overlaps, but they're actually different problems that you have to solve. 
Uh, and so that's another thing worth thinking about that in whatever tooling you're going to pick, you know, like knowing all the queries to run in like PSQL, right, against the system tables to figure out what's going on right now, that's a skill set that is worth developing. But then the idea of like, well, I need to know, you know, what has auto vacuum been doing over the last 30 days? That's not a thing that Postgres is very good about exposing over time, right? So you generally are going to need external systems in order to trend that data over time. So be aware that whatever your journey is going to look like probably is going to involve external tools, whatever those might be, because because you're going to need some way to trend that data over time and a way to make it you know easy to understand and analyze. So one of the reasons that we talk so much, I think, about external tooling is because of that, right? Postgres can give you what's going on now. It isn't really designed. Nobody seems to want to tackle like how do we give you, you know, over the long term granular data about what's happened in Postgres in Postgres. Right, we out we sort of export that to external tooling to do that. So, just be aware you need to carve some time out, you know, in in your day to day or over your career in understanding what some of these external tools can do because of that need. Wonderful shout out! All right, thank you so much to Lucas Fiddle, uh, PG Analyze, and Rob Robert Treat. Um, loved having you on the show today, um, and as always, um, couldn't do this without Pino De Candia and our co-producers in the background. Um, our next episode will be recorded live on Wednesday, January 10th at 10 a.m. PST. Um, the guests and topics are TBD, uh, but you can mark your calendar now at aka.ms slash path to CitusCon, all one word, hyphen EP11 hyphen Cal. And someone will drop that link um, in the chat right now if you're here live. You can get to past episodes and links to all the platforms at aka.ms slash path to cytoscon as well. And there's transcripts included on the episode pages on Transistor too. Before we leave, we just want to ask you a favor, especially if you've enjoyed the podcast, please, please rate it and rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. It helps other folks find this new show. And a big thank you to everyone who joined the recording live and participated in the, in the live text chat on Discord. And that's and a, wrap. a wrap. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks everyone. <laughs>